You've been hearing how some big brands are winning through simplicity. But don't get intimidated. You can do this too, no matter the size of your team or your budget. Want to learn the six behaviors you can instill to create simple experiences for your customers and your team members? Download a free copy of my simple playbook today. It'll help you immediately turn your customer experience around and create an Amazon experience without having an Amazon budget. Grab your copy of my simple playbook at mattliles.com slash simple playbook. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. Do you ever find yourself so busy? Or worse yet, do you ever find your team so busy? And you look and realize that the majority of their time is spent in too many meetings, spent on too many minutia tasks, spent having to navigate crazy complex processes, and that so little of their time is actually spent on that significant work, that needle-moving work, that work that truly matters. And all that comes from a culture of complexity. Look, no one plans to make things too complex and burdensome for their employees. Well, unless they're a James Bond villain that likes to make elaborate, overly complex torture experiences. But complexity does happen. And it creeps in a little bit at a time when you're not expecting it. And once it's in your business, it's so hard to get it out. It just multiplies and grows like gremlins when you get them wet. But you can't just kill it by shedding a light on it. It takes much more than that. All right, um, have I been watching too many 80s movies lately? Either way, complexity is detrimental to your business and you have to find a way to solve it. That's why I was so excited to talk with Lisa Bodell this week. Lisa's one of the top 50 keynote speakers in the world. She's the CEO of FutureThink, and she's the best-selling author of multiple books, including Why Simple Wins. And she happens to be one of my favorite teachers on simplicity. Lisa and I talk about how businesses find themselves in the complexity trap, and we discuss her lessons that will help you and your team eradicate that complexity and get back to that meaningful work that drives your business forward. So here it is, my interview with Lisa Bodell. Hi, Lisa. How are you doing today? Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How about you? Doing well. Thanks for being here. I have uh, I've followed you for a few years at least, and I've loved your books, you know, Why Simple Wins, as well as Kill the Company. Good. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Now, I don't think that there are enough voices like you that are helping to lead what I refer to as the crusade of simplicity. So why <laughs> is simplicity such a focus for you? Well, you know, I think when you talk to most speakers or authors, they're probably trying to figure out something for themselves. And that's how I started on my 
my kind of brigade was personally, I felt like I was doing so much, but not getting ahead. And professionally, you know, I have a company that teaches people change and innovation. And we couldn't figure out why when we were going out to teach people change, how they were resisting it. And what was so interesting was, you know, we realized the front end of being able to innovate isn't like te teaching people how to do more or different. It's about teaching people how to do less unnecessary things. And so what we needed to do was really to give people permission to get rid of unnecessary work, unnecessary clutter, and really how to spend their time better on meaningful work and define what that is. And so that's what started us on the crusade. First of all, was to get clients to be able to better do it and stop resisting it. And then second of all, to figure out personally, why is it that we just feel that our value is based on more versus meaningful? And so that's what we teach people to do, to get to meaningful work and spend their time on meaningful things. And I would think that most everyone would say, yes, I do want to work on just the meaningful <laughs> things. You know, like that's what everyone <laughs> wants to do. Yeah. But it seems like most work cultures have that tendency to make things more complex, more complicated and yeah. not simple. Why yeah. is that? Well, so it's like we we create the beast that we become a slave to. That's usually what happens. And it's yeah. complexity is it's typically created, I think, with the best of intentions, ironically, meaning, you know, people are trying to move faster. They're trying to get something done. It's easier to build on top of something uh, than starting from scratch. So, you know, we often do it without realizing it. The, the hard reason why people want to simplify, but um, they don't is really a lot of the stuff that happens to us every day is self-imposed and unnecessary. And it's driven out of fear and need for control. Let me give you an example. Why do we CC so many people on an email? Why do we invite so many people to meetings or feel obligated to go to them? Why do we have so many steps in a decision-making process? And a lot of that comes down to control and fear. And if we as leaders can start to take away that fear, to take away that need to control, we would simplify and streamline a lot of the things that we do and realize they're just not necessary. Wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That need for control, that fear, that zero risk mindset that some leaders have. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you mentioned something else too around, this was kind of an eye opener for me recently. I think a lot of people, when they see a problem that needs to be solved, a lot of them have the tendency to say, okay, what do I need to add on to help fix this problem? Mm -hmm. And one of the simplest examples that I saw recently in an article was around bicycling for young children. How do you teach young kids how to ride a bike? And for decades and decades, people thought, well, if you want to teach kids how to ride a bike, you add training wheels to a bike for them. Whereas, you know, and this was popular in Europe and then came to the States maybe, you know, a little over 10 years ago, the thought of pedalless bikes, those balance bikes. So instead of adding training wheels to the bike, what if we took away the pedals? Mm -hmm. And what I've seen from my kids and others is that it helps them to learn how to ride a bike even better than if they were using the training wheels that were added. Yeah, that's completely. It's how, do you, how can you take something away? And so that's, we have a lot of exercises where we teach people that, that see, so we have to get out of this complexity trap where we think more equals value. When in fact, less or simplified can equal value. And, you know, the data shows us that people will actually pay higher prices, be more loyal. Um, to companies that are simplified because you respect their time and you actually help them get to what they need to faster. 
So great. If you can teach my kid how to ride a bike faster, I'll do that. I'm, I'll even pay more for the bike. Yeah. We, we tend to think that we can't charge more money unless we give more stuff. And we're overwhelmed because of it. So I think the people that can figure out the right balance of giving less, but doing it in a meaningful way, that truly is customer-driven innovation. And that's simplicity. And now we would say that a lot of people would say, yes, I recognize the need for simplicity in my business, the need for simplicity in my team. And if complexity has been the norm, then it's difficult to drive that big change towards simplicity. And you were talking about this earlier, how that's part of what your company focuses on in in training is uh, change management, I think. I can see that there'd be a lot of resistance to change. So what are some ways that leaders can drive this change towards simplicity? Well, a few things. First of all, you know, the reason that COVID has been a positive influence um, is that it really has forced us to challenge the way or the assumptions around the way that we work. So just before COVID, everyone complained, there's no way we can work virtually. It's just not going to happen because a lot of that had to do with trust and control. And guess what? Right. When you're presented with a burning platform, boy, can you make things happen? So what it told us and it allowed us to do because we had no other choice was to challenge the rules of how we work. Is it really necessary? And we realized a lot of it wasn't. So I think for leaders going forward, there's a couple of things they can do. One, they can um, they can kill stupid rules at work. And that's a really easy thing to do is ask people, what are the rules that hold them back and we should get rid of? And you'll come up with a lot of things. And then the second thing is, is have the leaders exemplify those behaviors that allow people to simplify. Because if the leader doesn't do it, Matt, people won't do it. So like, for example, when leaders say, well, just say no to meetings or just don't do a report if you think it's frivolous but the leader still asks for that report and the leader still attends all the meetings, no one's going to do it. So, yeah, we have to actually give people kind of some frameworks or exercises to teach them what to get rid of and be empowered. And then leaders really have to exemplify it because, you know, we look to the leaders to signal the behaviors that are expected. Yeah. I I think it really helps to recognize and reward those behaviors and help team members understand if you do this, if you say no to a meeting or if you question the value of this redundant report, you'll be rewarded instead of penalized. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, we've got to start to reward um, valuable versus more. I mean, that's the other thing, which is, you know, within our corporate structures, it's, it's funny. No one comes to me and says, no, we're good. We're, we're completely simplified. No one says that. Everyone has complexity. But what they look when you look at what people are promoted or bonused or valued for is doing as much as possible. So that's leading the biggest teams, running the biggest P&Ls, having generating the most revenue, um, managing the most products. So the signal is more. And so that's where we get in that trap of being busy. Yeah. Yeah. And if we can stop that and it's not about more, it's about valuable. um, I think that we would have people would have more time for thinking. And they would be able to pivot their time from being internally focused inside the company to externally focused with the customer. Agreed. And I think that a lot of what leaders have traditionally measured in their organizations and measured with their team, those measurements tend to be more efficiency type measurements in, in that you know, like how many uh, how many steps 
can you take? Or how many of these things can you accomplish? Like what's the volume of your work instead of measuring the impact of your work? That's right. That's exactly right. So it's not about more, it's about impact and value. So I, you know, I think a lot of leaders are starting to get there because they realize through COVID that they, you know, yes, there's a work-life balance and being able to, if they can work from home and balance and kind of weave them together, it's great. But they also realize they've got to put boundaries down on their time because what used to be commuting time isn't going towards, you know, working out and people eating healthier. It's going towards more email time. So there's still the issue of boundary and Nature abhors a vacuum. It will fill it with stuff if you let it. So actually, if we can have managers that are better better equipped and good with boundaries on how you spend your time, then people will get to value versus more. Yes. And you know, one, one, of, one of the things that I teach people is one of their best tools in their toolbox is their calendar. Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> it's okay to put something on your calendar that's just a meeting with yourself. And that would set up a boundary from anybody else wanting to put something else on your calendar. That's a really, I like that a lot. I So it's interesting because we talk about being people more purposeful with their time and saying yes with intention and no with purpose. Because I think there's a great phrase that says, um, tell me what you say yes to and I'll tell you who you are. And when people start to think of it that way, like, So for example, you don't have time to play with your kids. It's because you just say yes to everything else. So you really have to start to be more intentional with how you spend your time. And that conveys the value or what you think is valuable. Yeah. And not being prone to giving in to distractions like that. That's something that I've been trying to work on a lot, you know, um, and I'm, I'm a solopreneur essentially. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm the only one in my business, but I still have a lot of things that feel like they demand my time. And Mm -hmm. I'm referring to those now as distractions, you know, that they're, they're not the impactful things. They're not the needle moving activities. So I've got to focus on how I manage those. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, you know, that whole meeting with yourself is important because the other thing we talk about is the trap we fall into when things are complex and we're not cognizant of our time is we spend it all doing versus thinking. And thinking has become a daring act within companies. And um, we don't carve out time to think. We're not going to have time to innovate and change. So that's where really focusing on the meaningful versus being busy is so important. Oh, yeah. Going back to like the the meetings that I would set with myself, um, thankfully, you know where where I worked in my organization, we did a lot of work around personal assessments, understanding everybody's strengths and sometimes their weaknesses and and their tendencies. And there was a clear report that showed like my strength was around creativity and thinking, and that allowed me to make a case to my leadership that that said. I can set aside this two hour block every Thursday. And I called it on my calendar. I called it thinking Thursdays ah. um, where, where, where I can sit there and just think, you know, and, and sometimes I would be writing. Sometimes I'd be working on a whiteboard. Sometimes I'd be in a conference room or sometimes I would just be there sitting there staring at a wall. And if somebody were to walk by, they may think, well, you're just being lazy. You're not getting anything done but my my leadership recognized and would even sometimes tell people, yeah, you don't realize that within that past two hours, how many problems Matt just solved in his head that he's getting ready mm. to you know help deliver next week. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, it's good. But that gets 
back to that you need leadership support and cover to be able to change like that. So, I, you know, a lot of things that people will push back on me is saying, well, it's easy for you. They said, because you're the boss, you can decide how you spend your time. But in a larger corporation, you know, it's not so easy to say no to the boss. So uh, until the boss, again, the leader changes their behavior, it's hard for people to change others. So that's a really important link for people to make is that we really have to um, do what we say. To that point, how can you help leadership understand the value of simplicity? (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting because it has... First of all, it has financial implications, which is what they want to hear most, right? There's there's a definite financial benefit, which can be translated into charging higher prices, 6% or more is what the data tells us uh, from a simplicity study at Siegel and Gale and other places. Um, Customers are 70% more likely to recommend you. Um, Your stock price outperforms others in your industry by over 200%. So that's great. But also, it's really a cultural and ethical imperative. And, you know, culturally, people like to work there. You have better retention. They spend their their time on more meaningful things, et cetera, et cetera. But ethically, it shows that, um, you know, you care how people spend their time and you are aware of how their time is spent, right? You do it with meaning and with importance. So I think the benefits of simplicity can be quickly translated into time saved, less, less waste, more time with customers, better pricing. But internally, it can be around better customer experience comes from better employee experience. And you'll retain people more as a result of a better culture of simplicity. Yes, yes. You know, you mentioned some of the research statistics from Siegel Gale. One of my favorites is the one around employee loyalty. So mm-hmm. there's much lower employee turnover. There's much higher employee loyalty when you have a culture of simplicity. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I, I think people start to see that and they they start to see it in their heads because when you ask people what would be the impact of having more simplicity at work, and I ask this, you know, thousands of people every time I give these keynotes. And the impacts, of course, say things like we'd be more productive, we'd get products to market faster, we'd be more innovative in our pipeline. But the majority of the answers are more around power skills and emotions. There are things like I'd be happier. I'd be more satisfied. I'd do more meaningful things. So there's definitely a balance there and one translates into the other. That's true. And you talked about the ethical implications of this. And Mm -hmm. this is something that, you know, I I didn't quite make that connection until recently. And a lot of times I'll hear leaders talk about stewardship, stewardship of our resources. We all need to be good stewards of all of our resources. And a lot of times people take that to mean, okay, you know, making good financial decisions. Like let's make sure that we're not, you know, overspending. Let's make make sure that we're making the right financial investments. But I think stewardship also focuses on how you're managing all the resources that you're given and how you're managing your employees' time. Exactly right. That's exactly right. So, you know, again, tell me what you say yes to. I'll tell you who you are. But managing your employees' time is really important. So, you know, again, it's about outcomes, not just the inputs of time. And I think managers that really show that, I think they get better performance out of their, excuse me, out of their employees and they get better results as a company. So when we think about leaders and managers that are focusing on that, I think, you know, some of them will have some characteristics, some habits that they exemplify themselves. So what are some characteristics or habits of leaders who are great simplifiers? Mm, Well, they definitely are focused. They don't try and do everything. They do the important things. 
Um, they empower people, that's for sure, by giving them the guardrails around what they can do and can't do in their sphere of control. Um, they identify what meaningful work is. And I think what's important about that is everyone, every leader says, we need to be focused on the important work. Well, have they decided what that really is? <laughs> and it, it would really be good to articulate it and agree on it. And that way people will really know what to say yes to and what to say no to. That does help because a lot of times, you know, you'll hear, <laughs> yeah. you'll, you'll hear a leader say, okay, you should only focus on the important things. And people say, well, wait a minute. So what, what is important <laughs> because they don't know. So yeah, as, as a leader, you've got to communicate that and you've got to communicate it over and over again too. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. And then one of the things you mentioned too is empowerment. And I think a lot of companies don't empower their team members enough. And that's one of the things that drives complexity is if I have to solve a problem, if I have to fix something for a customer or fix something for somebody else, how many levels do I need to send this up through for approval just to ask to be able to do that? Well, decision-making is a really big part of complexity. You know, it's interesting when I say people tell me what's too complex at work, they'll say meetings and emails and the usual stuff, but followed closely behind that is decision-making or lack of it. And so we give a lot of tips to people to help them start simplifying decision-making and empowering people to do it. Because, you know, it's interesting that a lot of people say they want to be more empowered and make more decisions, but then when leadership gives them the opportunity, they don't do it. Because it's like a, a muscle they haven't exercised. They're too scared. So we got to take away the fear and sometimes even mandate that people make decisions so they get in the habit of actually doing it and not fearing repercussions. So what are some of those tips that you do give to leaders and, and companies to help drive that? Well, there's a few. For example, when you have a meeting, you should designate a decision because emails are information, but meetings are for decisions. So if there's no decision maker there, why are you having the meeting? So designate what we call a D, a decision maker. Um, another thing is to do a decision making audit with your team. What are the things that requires decisions and how many layers are there? Can you cut a layer out? If, you know, when you audit things like that, when you do it meaningfully, you can identify a lot of places where you can cut stuff out and delegate down. And also when you actually make sure that you are cognizant of having a decision maker in the room, it forces the decision to be made versus kicking it down the line. Nice. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's really good. <laughs> Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience? I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand... You have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, 
If I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. One of the things we talked about earlier was around how leaders measure their employees, but how can leaders measure simplicity? How will they know when they're operating at ideal simplicity? So you'll know that when people actually um, can move faster and they only focus on meaningful tasks. Like, it, you know, when people are unbusy, you'll know that it's simplified and they'll almost feel uncomfortable with how much time they have on their hands. It'll be a, a cultural readjustment for them. But you know how you simplify things, we use an acronym called NURA. And we make things as minimal as possible, as understandable as possible, as repeatable as possible, and as accessible as possible. So there's, there's a few different ways to look at simplicity, right? It's not just getting rid of, but it's looking for clarity, um, making it available to more people, making it scalable. And I think once people are able to kind of put it through that rubric and it's as simple, it's as simple as it can be, then they know that that's where they are. They're good. They can move on to the next thing to simplify. You can, you don't want to oversimplify either. And there is that fine balance. Right. And I think people learn that too. It's not about getting a hundred page contract down to one. It might be about getting it down to 20 and that's pretty good. And I think that speaks to not focusing so much on some certain level or some amount of volume, it's focusing on what's the end goal. And a lot of times people will tend to measure themselves more on volume versus impact and goal. And that's what we talked about earlier. So at what point does this contract you know, meet the goal that we're trying to meet? Is it at 100 pages? Is it at one page or is it at 20 pages? Well, you know, that's, that's where we say it's simplified simplified as possible because you can't oversimplify. In fact, one of the, the stories would tell us, so there was a group at GE um, who simplified a contract from hundred pages to one. But what they realized to do that is that it was oversimplified. You know, there was so much jargon and things left out and, you know, people that had questions back and forth about it, that um, it caused more work. So they actually ended up being, I think it was somewhere between 10 and 15 pages, but that's still a huge reduction. Um, there's a great story actually about Duncan Hines when they first came out with their, you know, their, their ready to make cake mixes. Yes. And this was in more time. And I, I love this story because uh, a sign they, they came out with it where really it was just, it was all the dry ingredients. You just added water and no one bought it. And it was because it was too simple. People didn't feel like they were really baking. They were just baking it. And so they had to, they had simplified it too much. They actually hired a consultant who came back and said, you know, You've got to make it so they add one or two more ingredients for them to really feel like they're baking. And that's why now you add water and an egg, for example, because <laughs> right. then people really felt right. And then it, it flew off the shelves. So right. there's there's a psychology, right, in terms of as simple as possible um, to meet what the customer need is. It's amazing how adding one egg can make you feel <laughs> that much more accomplished. Well, I did something. I'm really contributing. That's really what it is. So that's good. That's it. Okay. So you've got leadership or team, they're bought into simplicity. Say, okay, I get it. Yes, we need to make things simpler. But then they say, okay, now how do we do that? 
And you've got a number of tools and exercises that teams can go through. And you've mentioned a couple so far, but talk to me about some of the other tools and exercises you teach. So there's a bunch of them. I mean, one of the, we talked about killing stupid rules. That's a big one that helps people immediately get impact. Right. Another one that we talk about is um, identifying simplification behaviors. And what's cool is when you ask people, what are the things that people do that make things so complex and just annoy you? And then how would you change those behaviors to make them simplified? That really sets some ground rules for not just where you want to simplify, but how you should behave. Another thing that we teach people is be a daily simplifier. Every single person should be their own chief simplification officer and better manage their time. And we have them audit their calendars and actually look at where they spend their time and what are the things that they would, what are the areas that are wasteful? And we force them to actually take things off their calendar so they can get time back for work that matters. Um, gosh, there's so many that we teach. This is why I like get a little stumped on it. Um, an, another thing that we talk about actually is around defining meaningful work. And we ask people to make a T-chart and we say, you know, on the left-hand side, tell me um, 20 things you do in a typical week. And then I want you to circle the of those things on the list, the ones that are valuable. And what oh. you find is people uh, people don't circle very many. And what that teaches you is that if it's not circled, why do you do it? And if it's not circled, how can you get rid of it? Because that makes space for the stuff on the right-hand side of the chart, which is what do you wish you were doing? And when they write those things down, what you're doing as a team is defining what meaningful work is. So those are some, some quick tips that people can do. I mean, there's watch outs and things like that when you facilitate it. But for the most part, they're quick, they're simple, and they're easy ways to better manage your time. That's it. And it seems like those are exercises that most any team, most any team member can instill no matter what their company is. Like what, whether you're a tech company or whether you're in a manufacturing industry, like these are exercises that anybody can do. It's agnostic. It really is. So, and that's the thing that people need to think about, which is people say, what are, what industries are more complex than others? It's, it's less about the industry and it's more about the size. I mean, industries that are regulated, yes, they tend to be more complex. So you're talking about your, your defense firms, your intelligence firms, your pharmas, your banks, you, you know what I mean? Right. Even within those, there's simple companies and complex companies. So it's really more about size and culture. And that's where we need to really look at any company can be more simplified. We just have to um, have the intent to do it. Oh, yeah. And when we talk about company size, it seems like as companies grow, that's when complexity can creep in. So if you think about smaller or newer companies, what can they do to prevent complexity from happening in the first place? Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people, smaller companies will work with us to put things in place that will prevent complexity from creeping in. And it creeps in at very small sizes. Um, and larger companies will come to us to get rid of the weeds, right? To just kind of teach them things that are more systemic, uh, that they can do on an ongoing basis to kind of weed the garden to make sure the weeds don't grow back. So the sooner you start to embrace simplicity, the better, because you won't allow those um, processes to happen. And what's really great about any size company is that the minute they want to simplify, they just need to start to focus, first of all, um, with teams and their spheres of control. And what I mean by that is rather than when you ask people what's complex at work and they start talking about, you know, travel policies and expense policies and HR policies and legal and IT, and they, they kind of complain upward, right, to these big things that are out of their control. Right. They should focus on their sphere of control with their leader to say, what are the things in our everyday work 
that we can start to simplify and kind of simplify out from there. Because if you focus on your sphere of control, that's where you can get immediate time back and change behaviors because you see impact. And I think if you work with other teams on a regular basis and those teams see what you've done to simplify things, especially if you've made it simpler for those other teams, then that simplicity can be contagious. It's contagious. Well, that's the thing about simplicity, which is um, in a good way, you know, it's not a lot of ways times you can say this, which is simplicity evokes jealousy. And it's a good jealousy. It evokes envy. Because I'll give you an example. We worked with HBO and one of their groups, one of their senior leaders, who was a real revolutionary and a catalyst and a, a status quo challenger, said, come in and help me simplify my team. Do kill a stupid rule. And we did. And within an hour, they had identified and killed dozens of rules. And they decided to create their own Google Doc and post it. And people could add to it any rules they wanted to kill as a way to visibly show people, hey, look at all the progress we've made in terms of saving time. But she was smart. She she actually sent this link, this Google Doc, to her other peers across the organization and said, hey, here's rules that we're killing. It's been great. Try this if you want or add to it. Steal some of our ideas. And the other managers were so jealous and were saying, why does she get to do that? Why can't we? And the executives, <laughs> the executives said, well, who said you couldn't? So it was a really interesting mindset shift that, you know, it, does the CEO have to approve the fact that you would like to have your meetings go from 60 to 45 minutes? I don't think so. No. Right. So if we can do it within our sphere of control and we can actually... Share it with others. It can be very contagious. There's, I, I can't think of a single person that doesn't react like lighters going off at a concert when you say, "Would you like to kill stupid rules?" They love it. Of course, focus on what you can control. Others can see it. It becomes contagious. That's right. Exactly. Lisa, last question for you: If you were to create a five-song soundtrack for <laughs> your work, what would you include? Well, I'll tell you, here's kind of the journey I think people uh, say to me when they come to me. They're, they're, they're singing under pressure by Queen when they come to me, right? Oh, my God, they're overwhelmed under pressure. And I come to them and say, like with Tracy Chapman, I'm talking about a revolution. I'm going to change how you think and work. And I'm going to make you feel like At Last by Etta James. Like, oh, at last, something simple I can do. Um, we've got exactly what you need, which is a song by Bank. It's easy like Sunday morning, like Lionel Richie. And the key thing is around experiencing it. You know, like Alanis Morissette said, you live, you learn. And the more you try this stuff, the more you learn how easy it is to do and get your time back for stuff that matters. There you go. Wow. No, that's that, uh, I love how you took those songs and put them in place on a journey. Love it. All right, Lisa, we've learned a lot from you today, but where can people go to learn more from you? Well, thanks for asking. You can find me on LinkedIn, of course, Lisa Bodell. You can come to our website, futuresync.com, um, at Lisa Bodell on Twitter. I'd love to hear from people and we're always happy to help them. If you, you know, if you go to our website, futuresync.com, Matt, there is an area there for free resources and they're there for people to take and learn. So have at it. Good luck. Yes. Lots of great resources, lots of ways for people to learn how they can quickly put simplicity into what they can control. Lisa, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here today. Thanks, Matt. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Lisa Bodell. So go and check out her books, 
and her work at futurethink.com slash power skills. You'll find lots of resources and ways to work directly with Lisa's team at FutureThink, and they're going to help your team escape the complexity trap. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead, hit that subscribe button. It's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Mike Kim. Mike's one of the top marketing and personal brand teachers in the world. He's the host of the top-ranked Brand You podcast. He's been featured in Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur, and HuffPost. And he's the author of the upcoming book, You Are the Brand. Mike and I talk about his personal brand lessons, and we walk through his eight-step blueprint that he's used to help build the brands for some of the most influential thought leaders today. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Mike's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple. Simple.